Hello there, friends. How are we doing this fine day? Hopefully fantastic. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Just wanted to welcome you into another online service. Hey, here at Agora Bible, our heart is that every believer is connected to a local body of believers. And so our intention with this video is that it's just a supplement. Either it's extra time in God's word for you, or you're out traveling and don't want to miss a service. So either way, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, a couple of things to just point your attention to. The first thing is we would love for you to text us any prayer requests to 97,000. That's 97 and three zeros. We would love to pray for you this week. So there's a bunch going on here at our church at this local body of believers here in Agora Hills. And the best way to find everything that's going on, whether it's our ministries, different ways to get connected in groups, different ways to serve, all of that you can find information on our website. That's agorabible.org. Another thing you can do on the website is give. Thank you so much for supporting the ministries here at ABF. We appreciate it a ton. It is honestly the only way that we can continue to do what we do. So if you're interested in giving and supporting the ministries here, you can do that online as well at agorabible.org. So that being said, hey, we value God's word and we are excited to dive into it together today. Without further ado, here we go. All right. Well, thank you, Josh. And uh, thank you as usual for joining us online. I want to invite you, just as we're getting into this week's text, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, picking up in uh, verse 16 uh, here today. And as you're uh, turning there, because it's so much easier to look at this together, just wanted to mention, I was thinking about it this week, that I I don't often say how much I appreciate just the, the privilege of being able to lead ABF and be a part of uh, teaching each, each week, it's a, really a, a, a huge privilege and honor. And uh, one of the things that uh, blows me away as I just consider ministering just over now, uh, nine and a half years here at the church, is how often, uh, just how the, the week takes me in so many unusual directions and how many just uh, unique and uh, just uh, interactions with people, to, uh, conversations that you have. I was just thinking about even just in the, in the past uh, seven, seven days, getting to talk with an ex-gang member uh, that was involved with a Mexican cartel before his conversion, got to interact with a guy that used to be uh, just uh, addicted to gambling. He was telling me about how one weekend he had lost over $24,000 in Vegas. You're like, what, what in the world would that be like? Uh, interacting with... Um, a, a younger girl who had lost her father of just age 62 to, to COVID in the past two years and just a really heartbreaking situation there. Interacting with uh, another guy who's on uh, just past his 100th day of uh, sobriety and another gentleman that's uh, been a, just a, a short time on the other side or set free from a 30 plus year addiction uh, to marijuana and uh, just a, a, another gentleman just interacting about his prodigal uh, son he's praying for. I mean, just so many interactions. And that, that's just in, in the past seven days. And just thinking through that, I was thinking about the, the life of Jesus Christ and, and how many uh, just unbelievable encounters he must have had in his 33 years here on earth. In John 21, it tells us, verse 25, it says, Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were, 
were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Just thinking about the influence and impact that Jesus would have had on his culture, on his, uh, the people that uh, he crossed paths with would have been unbelievable. Scripture tends to only capture some of the, the highlights or, 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 or bigger stories. But one of the interactions, and I'm getting somewhere with this, one of the interactions that has stuck with me over the years was his interaction. You might remember, it's found in Mark chapter 10, his interaction with the rich young ruler. Basically, in a summary, this younger, successful man comes to Jesus and is asking him the question. He's like, hey, how am I able to get to heaven? He explains kind of his, his resume of good works. He's followed the, the law to a T all the way since being a, a, a young man. And so he's asking Jesus, and he's really jolted by Jesus's response there in Mark 10, verse 21. Jesus says, looking at him, uh, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Think about that for a moment. Jesus saw straight through, and it even says there, it says Jesus looking at him. Jesus saw exactly what had a grip on him, and challenges him to leave it behind and follow him. He asks them to, to count the cost. What does it look like to, to make Jesus my everything? What does it look like to, to, to leave all the, the uh, trappings of this world behind and make Jesus the priority of my life? You see, Jesus understood something that I hope those of us who have been following the Lord for a while are beginning to understand is it doesn't really work well to partially follow Jesus. Seems like it's a all or nothing kind of a thing. But what he points us to is when you do, when you choose to leave everything behind, ironically, you end up gaining everything. So our text here today is actually kind of exposing what that looks like. What does it look like to give him our everything and then what do we get in exchange for that return? And this, you may, maybe might have missed it, even with that inter interaction with the rich young ruler. He said, sell everything, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You see, he understood the same concept that we need to grasp is that when you leave everything, you're not left empty-handed. In fact, you're given a future inheritance, something that no one can take away. Anytime someone's challenged to invest in something, it's a, a delayed gratification and saying, listen, if you actually put things on the shelf for now, set it aside, there will be a return for that investment. Similar with this concept of giving our everything to Jesus and the result of that. Let me just pray before we look here in 1 Corinthians. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word in the wisdom that is soaked in it. 
God, I pray that we'd be uh, alive and attentive and, and even uh, diligent to hear what you have for us in this section of Scripture, God. I, I know a number of different areas that this spoke to me this week. I pray that it would do the same for the audience now, God. And we invite you to be moving and working in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to start there in the first two verses. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. All right. The first thing I noticed here right out of the gates in that verse is the, the it seems like we're past the pleasantries of the letter, if you will. Right out of the gates, there's the charge. Do you not know? It's kind of like, are you uh, not aware of this? It's this I idea. It's actually repeated nine different times in Corinthians, but then only used one other time in anywhere else of Paul's letters. You, you get a sense of a degree of like frustration. He, he knew that they knew, but they weren't operating like they knew. And what was it that they, they didn't operate like they knew? They didn't operate that they knew that they were playing host to the Spirit of God. What do I mean playing host? You see, God in his kindness by sending Jesus Christ as a sacrifice, as a, as a payment for our sins, he was actually in that act, he was creating temples that were fit for him to, to dwell in. If you think about it, we were not an appropriate dwelling place for the Spirit of God prior to Jesus' finished work on the cross. But what he did, what he accomplished in that, is he washed us clean, he cleansed us, he prepared us for the Holy Spirit to move in and set up camp in our lives. He's explaining that to us, that we're, uh, that, that we're God's temple, that the God's Spirit dwells in in us. That's a reality of every single believer. So, some people have the idea that, the, uh, that the, there's a separate time, that there's conversion, and then the Holy Spirit comes at a different place. I actually lean towards the understanding of a scripture that at the point that we embrace Jesus Christ, that he immediately comes in and sets up camp. I don't hold to the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit being an independent of salvation. Here, obviously, there's no caveat that says, if you've been baptized in the Spirit. He's talking to all of these believers, understanding that there's not two groups. There's not the haves and the have-nots. But he's explaining that when we, uh, when we embrace Jesus, we are literally the temple, the, 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 the command center for the Holy Spirit. I like that picture because if you start to see yourself as the command center, you realize that what happens, what comes out stems from who's driving the ship. When I was uh, growing up, my uh, dad was very into the original Star Trek. I don't know if there's any of our audience that's been around long enough to see, see some of the olden days with uh, Captain Kirk 
and uh, the whole crew that's there, and uh, kind of a, a fun era just watching some of those shows. They, when you look back, oh, they're so painful and so cheesy, but so many of those shows, what took place, if you remember, what took place on the, on the bridge, if you will, I think that's what it's called, the main uh, place where all the control center was at, really affected everything else in that show. What was decided there, who was sitting at the captain's chair, determined every single thing that came about afterwards. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, that's a, a great picture in my mind. I like visuals. That's a great picture of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is at the helm, when he's actually has possession. If you think about it, the Christian life really in a nutshell is us gradually turning over more and more control to his leadership as he lives inside of us. We're getting closer to Halloween and often this idea of possession is a creepy idea. A lot of times you would see uh, some kind of a character that's demon possessed and they no longer have control of what they're, they're doing. They've, they've turned over the reins and man, some scary things happen. But if you flip the switch in the spiritual realm to this idea that it's a good thing when the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of God begins to take reign in your life and it's no longer you coming out, it's now him moving and operating through you as a vessel. He's wanting them to realize that, to recognize that, that, the, that their body is intended to be a temple. I think the word and the usage of the word temple is an important one also because they understood, his audience understood they're coming out of temple, a period of temple worship. And what did they think of the temple? The temple, we've talked about it quite often here, was something they were intended to take really seriously. The temple was something that they approached with great reverence. If you remember, even the high priest going into the Holy of Holies only one time a year, and that even had the risk of death. So we should take what happens in our own bodies equally serious. Oh, this is, wait a second, I'm connecting those dots. Oh, this is the temple. My, my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I need to think through how I'm treating this body, what, what I'm putting in it, what I'm allowing it to see, what, I, what I'm allowing it to hear, the things that it says, the things that it does. Man, we, we start to think through this vessel and realize, man, I need to be careful with this. On a Sunday and Monday of this uh, past week, I spent a couple days with a, a real close friend, uh, Joe, for a, a little uh, Vegas golf getaway with some uh, friends there. And uh, I don't head to, to Las Vegas uh, very often, uh, not necessarily a huge uh, uh, golf person, although I did enjoy Top Golf. there, it was a, a lot of fun. One of the things that caught my, caught my attention as I was kind of dwelling on this passage of Scripture, this idea of being a, a temple, and you start looking around that, that whole town and you start to realize, man, how much damage everybody's in the habit of doing to their temple, whether it's the alcohol they're putting in it, the things they're smoking, the, the, the drugs that are being done. I had one evening that, there, that we were there that I ended up having to drive a little bit off of the, the strip or main area there in order to get some gas for my vehicle. And it, was, it was about 11 o'clock at night, and it's so interesting going into this gas station and going, it was a 7-Eleven going in there and just seeing people that you're like, man, the, the damage and impact 
that the drugs that they must have been taking must have had on their systems. It was like a zombie apocalypse. You're just like, man, what have they done to their bodies? You see, as a Christ follower, as somebody that has the spirit of God living inside of us, we have no business operating like the world around us. We're intended to be set apart, to be holy, and not to defile. That's what it says there in the text, not to defile what's actually going on there. It says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Holy is this idea of separate and set apart. We're not to destroy. This idea of destroying is the word often used of defiling something. Well, how do we defile something? How do we destroy something? So often, if you think about temple worship, what's going to defile or destroy that temple is when you introduce false gods into that temple. That's a, another way we can damage or destroy the temple that we've been entrusted with when we allow other gods to sneak their way into the, un, uh, the, the position that only God was intended to fill. I don't know, I was just thinking about this and kind of in response to that, because I know it's a convic convicting topic, because I know all of us have something that we're just, whether it was something we viewed, something we listened to, something we partook in, that you start feeling like, man, what do I do? I know I'm guilty of not treating my body as the temple that it was designed to be. I think maybe we get back to some of the basics of the faith, this idea of repentance, of coming before the Lord and confessing it when we have gotten off track with that and him washing us clean for us having a new beginning to turn from the patterns of sin. Man, I'll tell you, even as I mentioned at the beginning, there's the potential to leave behind some of the things of the old and start new to start fresh. That's the idea of when Jesus is at the helm of that temple. All right, we've belabored that a bit, but let me continue in verse 18. It says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. All right, so we're moving towards this topic of wisdom. We've scratched the surface of that in the last chapter, but here he's bringing us back to the foolishness of man. And if you think about it, man, I'll tell you what, ego is running rampant in our day and age. Everyone thinks they have the corner on truth. In fact, We've tried to adjust that so that truth is relative so that everybody can be right. So we're like, oh, well, what you, what you say is true. Well, that's true for you. But what I say is true is true for me. What a mess, what a chaotic thing we've done with wisdom in this day and age. If any of you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool 
It's kind of an interesting thing. So often we're hungry to find somebody to grab wisdom from, whether it's, and we have all kinds of different sources we go down, uh, uh, often whether it's listening or viewing something. I was reading this week, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with the name uh, Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan has a a podcast. I was reading this week that his podcast has 12.8 million subscribers to this daily sharing that he has on there. It has more viewers slash listeners than CNN and Fox News combined. It's kind of interesting to think about somebody having that much influence. You see, we're so drawn to anything that proposes a suggestion of truth. What I find interesting, and I've only seen bits and pieces of anything that he's done, but I do find it attractive that he does at least have a bit of humility, seemingly, that he's trying to seek out or look for truth with his different guests that he has on that. But you see, human wisdom is always going to leave us wanting for more. But the starting point, as we see here in the text, the starting point of finding truth is to getting to the place of realizing, man, it's not going to be found here on this earth And there should be a level of humility that we come to the conclusion that I don't know it all. I'm not just based on my experience and my uh, life interactions. I sure don't know it all. I like what John MacArthur says, his quote. He says, the only way to be wise is to realize you're a fool. Acknowledge your ignorance and turn to the revelation of God. Again, realize you're a fool, acknowledge your ignorance, and turn to the revelation of God. We must be emptied in order to be filled. We can't keep looking at the silly uh, uh, options or proposals of wisdom here on this earth. Says a few things in the text. He says, he catches the wise in their craftiness. He's quoting Job 5.13, if you remember that study that we did in Job, which refers to Job's unwise friend named Eliphaz and this silly worldly input that he gave, not being able to see the bigger picture, the above view. So the, he's saying, man, even, even that is a, was a joke as an attempt of wisdom. He then quotes Psalm 94.11, which says, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, or it also can be traded, could be translated in vain. Basically, here's the idea. There's no point in trying to solve this life with limited view and experience. We're in over our heads. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you start to realize, man, I don't know enough to move forward here. We had a situation this past spring and uh, where the uh, big television that we have, the outdoor television we have in the courtyard ended up breaking or getting a bad fan and it needed fixed. And I was reaching out to the company and they didn't provide any kind of a service where they come out and fix this television. Instead, they wanted to send instructions by video on how to take it apart ourselves and fix it. It was actually an insane thing. We've got this thing, uh, the take it apart. Thank the Lord for Kevin and Justin. Uh, and we started looking as we got this, this uh, top off of this thing, and we're just like, 
man, we are so far in over our heads, it was ridiculous. You see, that is kind of the same feeling that we're intended to feel with trying to make sense out of spiritual things in this world. We're way in over our head. Man can get us to the moon, but he can't get us to God. I'm not saying that there's no wisdom or no, no knowledge here on earth, but as it relates to spiritual things, man, we are left wanting as this text describes. I was really proud of my son, Chase. He came home telling us the, just the, this past week about a conversation that he had at the juice shop that he works at. He's a junior at Agora High School and uh, works at this uh, juice press shop. And he was having a, a spiritual conversation with one of the girls that works there. And he came back and he was just shocked. He was like, man, I can't believe the crazy belief system that she's come up with piecing together one little bit of worldly wisdom, another bit of a uh, religious background, a little bit of this, and a hodgepodge collection. And he's like, man, it was really almost comical listening to her describe some of the things that she's landed on. This idea, that's why he says in the text, let no one boast in men. The most brilliant man cannot come up with answers in the spiritual world. The wisdom of man is dead and going nowhere. So Paul confronts the delusion of self-sufficiency in our understanding. There needs to be a truth source. There needs to be a truth source, something that gives direction. And that's why we gather each week around this word because we believe it's the word of God. And so my question for you as you're listening is, do you orient your life around this as if it were your truth source? And if not, then why not? That's what he's bringing us back to. All right, we'll continue in the last couple verses of this section says some interesting things here. It's a first, it took me a bit to absorb. Take a look at the second half of verse 21. He says, For all things are yours, when it, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Wait a second. So, what is he actually saying is ours? So we just got past this truth thing, and now we're moving to the conversation of as a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody that's submitted their life, somebody that's all in, what is actually ours? What is at our disposal? It's interesting what he says. He says, all things are yours. And then in his list of things that he mentions, he mentions, it may be snuck by you there, he says, the world. You're like, wait a second, what is, what is that talking about? It's a theme in scripture. Romans 4.13 also talks about Abraham and us uh, as heirs of the world. What is he referring to as the world? Basically referring to all the created universe. See, a lot of times we belittle the, what actually happened when we were rescued by Jesus' finished work on the cross. It was more than just a, a get out of hell pass, but instead it was an invitation into being heirs over all of this. Every single thing 
that you lay your eyes upon, you're an heir to. You're over the world. So the next time you're taking a hike, you're swimming in the ocean, you're gazing at the stars, you're skiing down a beautiful snow-covered hill, the next time you're doing any of that, reminding yourself, man, this is all for me. You're like, what do I even do with that? It's even weird to even hear myself saying that. But that's what our God points to. As heirs, as co-heirs with Jesus Christ, everything that's his is ours. And the delusion that it's, that it's not is, is, should be pushed back against. I was walking um, on Azuma Beach with my wife a while back, and we were going kind of north there, uh, a, a section of, of beach that starts having uh, the bigger cliffs you've maybe seen and some of the beautiful homes. I remember on our, our hike, we were interrupted by a gentleman that was standing down by the beach, and he was all dressed up in full security guard. And he's like, uh, excuse me, uh, you can't be on this beach. It's a private beach. And it was really interesting because it felt very out of, out of place because there was nobody around. He was the only other person there. And I said, listen, I, not to be disrespectful, but my understanding is in the state of California, nobody owns the, the beaches. There's no such thing as a, a beach being owned by somebody. And it was funny because there was a change in his demeanor. He's like, yeah, I know that, but I get paid to tell everybody differently. So he was, he was coming clean. He said, but the truth be told, my, my boss never ever comes down to this beach that he claims is his. So I'm really the only person that enjoys it. So it's interesting. I was thinking about that story and that interaction there. And you're just like, wait a second. We, we shouldn't be easily convinced that something is owned by somebody that really they're just passing through. The reality is on the other side of all of this, this is all ours. For those who are in Christ, we're co-heirs with him. I know that's hard for us to even wrap our mind around it, but you see it directly there in scripture. There's nothing that you lay your eyes on that doesn't belong to you. That doesn't mean you get to go steal something and be like, sorry, that's mine too. But the idea, you get the bigger picture here in the text. Surrounded here, you say, he describes a couple other things that are yours. He mentions himself. He says, Paul, Apollos, and Peter. What does he mean by that? How is that also uh, theirs? Basically, this idea that they were breaking into favorites and having like, this is the person I'm following, this is the person I'm following. He's saying, man, we're all in this. All of that is yours. We should all benefit from all the spiritual leaders that are put in place. It should be something that we each get to gleam something from. There's no breaking into sections. We're all in this together. You put it in context from our own church, man, we should be somebody that shows up on Sunday morning benefiting from the wisdom that Chad or Erica share from up front during worship, benefiting from something that maybe Adrian says, something that maybe Josh or Chris says, anyone from our team, from Stephanie, this idea of us all being spiritually having influences around us and that being a good thing. I know even when I'm studying for these uh uh, sermons each week. I get on online. I'm listening, reading different uh, articles about things. I'm listening to different sermons. I'm looking for ideas and insights. And you're just like, man, there's so much to take from, from the combined wisdom of the spiritual leaders 
in our world, he's saying that's all yours. It's all intended to be part of your inheritance. What else does he mention as ours? He mentions life and death. Like first processing that for a second, you're like, well, the life part sounds good. I like that idea. Even the reality of eternal life with Christ, that's an amazing reality. But why in the world would I want death as well? You see, what happened on the cross is we actually saw the sting of death stolen. Death is no longer intended for someone that's in Christ to be something negative. It's just exchanging this reality for presence with the presence of God. It's just a blink, and on the other side of that blink, we're immediately with the Lord. Remember my grandmother, her sweet little uh, frail frame in her uh, last days of her life. Her name was Ruth. I remember her talking about, or at least uh, uh, alluding to, towards this idea of just, just looking forward to heaven. Being, being done with all of this, being ready to, to, to move on. And I think that's, there was no sense of fear. There was just a calmness about when you have Christ, when you're clinging to him for your future, that's what we have to look forward to. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, oh death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? What else does he tell us that we have? He says we have peace in the present, and also blessing in the future. We have the present, we have the future. It's all given to us. So how in, this how in the world is this possible? It says something that's key at the very end that I think I wanted to wrap up by looking at. He makes this statement. He said, you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So basically here's the connection point. Is if we're, as Romans 8, 17 says, we're fellow heirs with Christ. So we're in the family. So if we're attached to Christ and we belong to God, every, and he belongs to God, every single thing that was intended to be turned over to Christ, Christ is saying, you have that too. You have everything, everything that I, uh, that belongs to me also belongs to you. This is where we have a reason for rejoice. It's kind of hard to wrap our, our brain around and process all of these, that every single thing, every good gift that's given to him is given to us. He owns everything and chooses to give all that he has to us. Now, in eternity, we're going to have plenty of time to figure out all of this, what that looks like. But I don't know, even this amount of detail is enough to get me pretty excited about what's to come. And here's the big idea that the text is leaving us with, is when he is our everything, we get everything. When he's our everything, when we choose to say, hey, I'm turning over the reins to him. He's going to be my source of knowledge. I'm letting him take over the reins in the control center of my life. He's saying, man, that's the best decision you could possibly give. When he's our everything, he's saying, I'm going to give you everything. That's the amazing reality for those of us who are in Christ. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this encouraging passage, although it does a couple things, at least in my mind and heart, is first checking myself with this reality of being the temple of the Holy Spirit and wanting to make sure 
that I'm doing my, my part in keeping that clear of distraction, things that would get in the way of you leading, Lord, in my life. Forgive me for the idols that have snuck in, for the things that I've allowed to sneak in. God, we want to turn that over completely to you. We thank you for the reminder that you should be and really the only possible real source of truth in our life. Sure, there's human wisdom for some of the things of navigating day-to-day -day stuff here, but the bigger picture, who's in charge of things that are spiritual, who opens our eyes, it's not going to be discerned by human wisdom. It only comes from you, only what you've revealed to us in your word. I pray that we would approach this book as if that was true. God, I also, I just thank you for the hope that you leave us with in this passage of what is to come, that all things are given to us. Can't even believe what that actually means. You're such a good and amazing God and such a faithful Father. We praise you for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.